talking about peace in the message, and that's a very peaceful and wonderful song to lead us uh, to that theme once again this Sunday. Um, So we're continuing from last Sunday in Judges 6. We read a little over halfway through the chapter last Sunday. Now we're going to continue uh, with the rest of the chapter, beginning at verse 23. So we're continuing in chapter 6, but we're also continuing in the, the main, the theme and the subject matter of Judges chapter 6, which, uh, if you remember, it's about how God was in Judges 6 on the path to making a prevailing peace for his people. We saw a couple aspects of, of how that was going in the first half of the chapter. Now there's, there's a little more going on that we're going to find out about today. Judges 6, beginning at verse 23, let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word. The Lord said to Gideon, remember that's the judge that we're dealing with in this chapter. The Lord said to Gideon, peace, uh, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah, that's Gideon's home village of the Abizrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it and then build a proper altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down offered the second bull as a burnt offering. And and so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, I don't know if that's supposed to be a bit of a humor because Gideon took 10 servants with him to do this. I mean, a lot of people knew, so I'm sure one of them squealed. So that's my suspicion there, that it's a little bit of humor, that it wouldn't be too hard to find out with 10 other guys going with them. But the scripture says, when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And so that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. And now there might be a little bit of passing of time, not necessarily, but it could be some months ahead. 
Verse 33, now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And then the spear of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet with him. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the other ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew. It was a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. That's God's word for us, to us this morning. We learned at the beginning of chapter 6 that Israel, ancient Israel, had had 40 years of peace under Judge Deborah's leadership. But then they had lost that peace, as happens time and again in the book of Judges, by disobeying the Lord and worshiping the false gods of the land. And then so God allowed enemies, this time it was a coalition of enemies, to oppress Israel until they finally again called out to him for help. We saw how he brought his word through a prophet to explain uh, the reason for their sufferings. And then we saw how the angel of the Lord comes and initiates a restoration of peace. Gideon experiences that peace through a meeting with this angel who in fact was the Lord himself. And it was almost certainly uh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, before Jesus' birth, before Bethlehem. And all of this is not hard for us to identify with. Lack of peace and so forth. Uh, the fact that there is even a Veterans Day like today shows us that peace is often lost in our world. We're most aware, of course, of, of the countries that, uh, of the wars that our own country has been involved in. But, but around the world, Wikipedia lists no less than 60 armed conflicts that have resulted in fatalities in the past year. 60 wars happening right now in the world. Uh, a number of them started decades and decades ago and are continuing. Uh, we can be so thankful when we hear that uh, for God's grace and for the sacrifice of our veterans as well as the sacrifice of those currently serving in our military. Um, and for all those reasons, we enjoy uh, this relative peace in our nation now and today. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think we should be mindful of the many in our world who live in the midst of, of armed conflict. Now, if you think of, of neighborhoods, uh, not far from where we are. And, and we, we need to remember, too, 
I think that even though uh, we're clearly not, the U.S. is not a war zone, but yet there are many people who do not have peace in their lives because of the circumstances of, of their lives. Um, after last Sunday morning, someone in our church shared how before they became a Christian and really knew the Lord, they didn't really know what peace was even. And they certainly never experienced it in their heart and life. And many people are living, of course, with constant stress, pressure, turmoil, fear. But praise God, the Bible says that in him you can have a peace that passes understanding. Gideon gains peace through meeting this angel the one who would later in history come in the flesh uh, to create a prevailing peace for all who humbly turn to him. Uh, the son of God who would die on the cross to make a lasting peace between us and the Lord. He was already at work back here in Gideon's day. But this idea of peace doesn't stop with peace in our hearts. We also see where this peace leads, how and where it spreads and makes a difference. And this is what happens with the peace of the Lord. It's not only an inner reality, it's not just a personal thing, as important as it is for you and I to have a personal peace, uh, but it goes outward. So where does it lead? God commands Gideon to tear down his father's false altar to Baal and build a proper altar on top of it. Altars, bringing sacrifices, uh, that was all key to worship in those days before Jesus came to be our once-for-all sacrifice for sin. It's interesting, Gideon's father, Joash, had clearly taught his family about the Lord. Last week we saw that Gideon knew about Egypt. He knew about God's wonders and history for his people. But Joash also led the family in worshiping false gods. And that was really the state of the whole nation of Israel at that time. They didn't reject God outright, but they split their allegiance between him and the fake gods of the land, the pagan gods. They served God and which Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, is impossible. He says no one can serve two masters. In these days, God's people would worship the Lord, but their lives also revolved around worshiping, say, agricultural idols, if they were farmers, commerce gods, if they were in business, or, or procreation and beauty gods, if they cared about those things. We're more sophisticated about it, but we certainly can do the same today. Uh, Michael Wilcock writes, the gods have really not changed, for human nature has not changed. It's the same gods that humanity regularly recreates for itself. He says, in all ages there are forces at work which promise to meet our desires. Political programs, economic theories, career options, philosophies, lifestyle choices, entertainment, 
And they all have one feature in common. They promise that they can make our lives better than we can make our lives ourselves. Having met the Lord and experienced his peace, Gideon is now being called to make the Lord God of every area of his life. And this was a picture of what the whole nation needed to do. And us too. This peace that God gives us in our hearts and that we receive, it very naturally leads us to wanting to tear down what doesn't belong in our lives and to give our allegiance to God alone, not the false gods in our lives. And and I want to give a little example in my own life that came up just this past week, and so I want to share it with you. Um, So first of all, as an introduction, is you have to know that one of my biggest pet peeves, if not the very biggest, are those drivers who at a left turn signal do not go right up to the line at the intersection, but hang back like a car length, one and a half car lengths. I can tell some of you know where I'm going with this. Um, So that the green left arrow is not triggered. If you give a little honk, it doesn't help. They have no idea what you're talking about because the light's red. They're like, what? Um, I've thought about, because a honk doesn't work, because getting out of my car and coming to the side to explain it to them, but I thought that might be a little too aggressive. And, and truthfully, I don't know how people can have a driver's license and not be aware that vehicles trigger lights to turn green and so forth and so on. So on Tuesday, I needed to turn left onto 83 uh, from a nearby corner in Oak Brook. It's the one that has uh, the Panera Bread, Fifth Third Bank, which is our bank actually. And there's a Walter E. Smith, a Binnie's on those four corners. Um, And sure enough, my biggest pet peeve played out. And that green arrow in particular, if you've ever been to that shopping center where Panera is, it's very short, and it's because um, it's crossing 83, which has a ton of traffic. So there's a very short window to turn left. Uh, The car in front of me was not close to the intersection, and sure enough, no green arrow. And we had an entire additional cycle that we had to wait for. In fact, I started planning because this person still wasn't moving. The green light would never come. I started figuring out like how I could get my car around and kind of back in to trigger the light eventually. <laughs> but thankfully, before that happened, they pulled forward um, to where they were supposed to be in the first place. So these situations do not encourage peace in my heart. But then I thought about what we were learning, what I was learning about peace from this chapter where I just preached on, what I was studying on for this week. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to peacefully wait. And I used the extra time uh, to pray for some of the people that I'm praying for these days. But then I also thought a little bit about what was going on there and why I would get, get so frustrated about this. And I, I think it's that for me, like efficiency, punctuality, speed, getting back into the office after a lunch, which is what I was coming from, that those things can be an idol, things I prize too much. 
Not that they're bad qualities in themselves, but if they're so important to me, being efficient, being quick, um, punctuality, if they're so important to me that when I don't have those things, I lose my peace, well, you know what? I think they're bordering on, if not idols in my life. And so as I sat there praying, I had to very deliberately tear down those values in my heart and turn to the Lord again. So a little story and a little victory maybe, but I think significant. And it's something that's a natural consequence to God's peace in our hearts. That in his strength, we can break down our idols and instead of those idols, give him our worship, our prayer, our honor. And we're called to do this in every area of our life, day by day, bit by bit, small victory by small victory. And, and I think in, in that situation too, I think I found a key to understanding and figuring out uh, what our idols are. And I think a piece to that is when I'm not at peace, when I'm frustrated, why? And I think we often lack peace and get frustrated when we don't have, when we aren't experiencing whatever it is that we value the most. And that's going to be different for every one of us. So the people in the village are, are pretty upset about Gideon's little reformation project, right? They found out Gideon uh, destroyed the altars and they, they want him dead. But then we see what happened uh, to Gideon, this, this piece, and, and what follows from it seems to be possibly overflowing to his father. This peace that impacted him is affecting him because this guy who was leading his family astray by worshiping both God and Baal, he's maybe beginning to see who God really is and who the person is in whom peace can truly be found. Because he says... You know, if Baal's really God, well, let him defend himself. And, and this gives us a hint what, where Joash seems to be headed of, of what we see all over the Bible, that the peace of the Lord in someone's heart reverberates outward with positive impact. Our homes can be changed. Parents who have met Jesus, well, your children will be impacted. A spouse who meets Jesus and knows him can impact their husband or wife who maybe doesn't. Children who've met the Lord, like Gideon, will impact their parents, like Joash, and it will no doubt impact their siblings. And, and actually, off the top of my head, I can think of at least a couple of very dramatic examples of this from our own church family, where one person experienced God's peace and, and their brothers and sisters become changed too, even later in life. And even beyond the home, the household, this, this piece will be spread to a household, but even beyond that, uh, what's, what's going on here is that God's peace 
is leading to an entirely new worldview. Instead of all these little gods plus the Lord God, one God, one Lord, one altar, one allegiance. And, and that was a strong break from the worldview of the culture. And we're also called to break from the predominant worldviews of our culture and to have a biblical worldview. The name Gideon received, Jerob Baal, meaning contender of Baal, you know, that's got to be all our middle names, that we contend with society's worldviews. I read a little article on, on uh, predominant worldviews in our nation these days and in our world. J.P. Moreland uh, says that uh, the, the two worldviews out there today that most contend, that we are to most contend with, that are the ones that most compete with historic Christianity are one, scientific naturalism. Only the physical world is real. Uh, you're pretty much your brain and a body. There's no soul. Science is the only way we can know things. If you can't measure something in a lab or use science to prove it, well, then it doesn't exist, and we can't really know it. He also mentions postmodern relativism. All truth and reality is relative to your own experience or your own individual community. Feelings are more important than facts or truth, and in fact, there is no ultimate truth at all. So instead of just going along with these worldviews and instead of adopting them for ourselves, we must resist them and promote a biblical worldview. And there, there are a lot of ways to do that, and it's too much for us to go into today. But I, I think ways that we can and do promote a biblical worldview are, you know, examples this past week how, in, in how we vote. I think another way we resist the worldviews of today is just having a steady, faithful pattern of worship and rest, worship with God's people and work, and then worship with God's people again and rest. Um, uh, we combat it with how we spend our money. We, we combat it um, in, in serving others, especially those in need. Eventually here, the whole nation was going to be changed. One more aspect or thought about this piece beyond what we've seen already and beyond what we're just talking about, where it leads and goes out. Uh, finally, we're shown what strengthens our peace. And as we move forward in, in verse 33, the enemy is gathering for another season of plundering uh, Israel at will, but but now it's different because God has his man. He has his guy. Gideon, who we know had the spirit of God in him already because he was able to humbly receive God's peace. Now we read he has the spirit of God come upon him to prepare him for battle with the enemy. Verse 34. Gideon calls an army together, uh, but first he asks God for yet another sign. Uh, this, this wool fleece, um, first of all, 
having the, the wool be wet, the floor dry. And then secondly, he's like, uh, I need, you know, one, one, one more test here, which would have been harder that the floor was wet and the wool dry. That's harder because wool, of course, absorbs water and dew. So what's going on here with Gideon? Was he just uh, totally lacking faith? Was this a good thing to do, a wrong thing to do? Was he looking for little signs to help him make a decision? You know, like maybe something that, some silly thing we might do, like, oh God, if I'm supposed to take this job, let the sign be that of all green lights on the way home. That will be a sign to go forward with this job. But if that doesn't happen, I won't. You know what I'm talking about, right? We, we put little things in our mind, little signs that God might have. But I really think that this was bigger than that. Gideon, I believe, was trying to know God in a deeper way and to understand his nature. He had faith, but, and I think he would admit this, his faith was still weak and even a bit uninformed. And what, what he was asking was kind of like the father in the Gospels in Jesus' day, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. And so I don't think this was a trite testing of God. And in fact, I think there's a depth to this request that we might not see or get at first. He was asking God who he really was. And it's key that the test he gives and the way he asks God to reveal himself is through a nature miracle. And that's key because Baal and Asherah and all the other little gods were thought to rule over different pieces and aspects of nature. And if God could do this, this would show Gideon who his God really is. It wasn't just someone who brought peace in his heart, but he was the God in control of all nature and therefore the only really true God, the sovereign one. And we see God graciously responds twice to Gideon's request to have his faith built up. And, and you know, God responds uh, to our requests to have our faith built up Two, only on, on this side of the cross, uh, we don't need a fleece. Instead, God has given us the fullest and the final revelation of his character and his purposes to us, and it's the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, in the past, and you can imagine Gideon's time in this, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And it's not that God doesn't use circumstances in our lives to direct us. It's not that we don't look for open doors and closed doors when, when job searching, when deciding about dating someone and so on. Uh, but the fact is, if we want God's incredible peace, where we find it is in Jesus. And when we want signs to strengthen our peace, 
we go to the signs that God has given his people today. And those are especially scripture, God's word, read and preached, and witnessing and participating in the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. God has all of the, this for us to give us strength because so much in our lives and in the world can erode our peace. And, and so I, I just want to conclude, um, you know, we're talking about peace and, and for you uh, to give some thought about your life. Are, are you fearful about the world and where things are headed? Are you unsettled in your heart, in life? And the answer, if you are, is, is to turn to Jesus, uh, maybe for the first time, uh, maybe again, and, and then from there, value the way God strengthens his people's faith, especially in terms of, of making use of God's grace, the means of God's grace, hearing his word, seeing God's word in the sacraments. You know, as I think about our church, we, we value and we want to prioritize pointing people to Jesus so that they can have a peace in this world, in their hearts and lives, that it could be spread to their homes and loved ones and beyond, and so that as uh, they and we continue our life's journey, that peace can be strengthened and Pray that we could keep doing that faithfully and keep doing it with God's help. What a blessing that prevailing peace has been won and that it's available to anyone because of our God's great and loving plan in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, work your word, your peace into each one of our hearts and lives. May it spread out from us in all sorts of ways. And may it be strengthened by your word and spirit and, and through the means of your grace. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.